hello and welcome to Council Culture Conversations, the podcast where we look through the lens of counselling in today's culture to help equip you to live life to the full wherever you are. We believe that everyone should have and benefit from the core skills of counselling that help you do life well, lead ourselves in relationships, mental and emotional health, and in work, navigating life in fast-changing times. Hi everybody, Nicholas here. Welcome to the Council Culture Podcast. Uh, today we're talking to a specialist expert dietitian, Kim Menzies. We're going to be talking about the gut and food and mood, mental and emotional health um, and our relationship with food, which is a really big area. There's a lot of different areas we could have gone into in this discussion. We, we try to cover uh, some of those and there's so many areas we could go down in future discussions. So I think we might end up having Kim back on the podcast at some point. Uh, we hope it's of real benefit to you and really blesses you where you're at in this really important topic. Um, also, just a note, the recording at times is not that great. And so we just ask that you want to give you a heads up about that, ask that you persevere um, and lean into the discussion because there's some really good content in there that's worth hanging in for. Um, and just wanted to say also thank you for your support throughout 2022 of this podcast. Uh, we want it to add value to wherever you're at in life and also, we are really excited about 2023, the shows that we have lined up and what we're going to be able to share with you as we get into the new year. So thanks again, always, for your support. It means a lot to us. And again, we trust that this podcast, like all the others, is of great benefit and blessing to you. Kim Menzies, welcome to the podcast today. Thanks, Nick. It's great to be here. Would you be able to tell us a little bit about, before we dive into this into this topic, and I'm really excited to talk about this, uh, a little bit about yourself and, and how you came to, I suppose, develop an interest and really, uh, I think you've, you've really found a place in this whole area now. Uh, and so tell us how you've, how you've come to be there. Yeah, thank you. Well, um, it was in a pre- life, a homic teacher, homic and biology teacher. Um, so I've always had a real interest in food and health um, and nutrition. And uh, about 17 years ago, I retrained to be a dietitian um, and sort of fell into um, gastrointestinal dietetics as my first landing space um, and with a very entrepreneurial dietitian who was doing her PhD looking um, at irritable bowel and the low FODMAP diet and worked with Shepherd for a decade. And it's been a fascinating area to to work and, you know, an area of science that just continues to evolve with more and more research and certainly, um, you know, the research into the microbiome mm. has really um, impacted my learning over the last um, 15 years. But it was during that time that I began to see working with people in relationship um, with their gut issues, um, just seeing more and more people that really had quite um, a complex relationship with food or a complex relationship um, with 
their emotional health and food, either presenting with highly disordered eating or an eating disorder or people that had spent a long time dieting. And then the influences um, with anxiety and depression in all of that. And so that really led me on a journey to um, explore more and understand more about the the connected relationships um, of these areas. And then COVID hit um, and had the privilege of working in an eating disorder practice um, with some psychologists. And I guess that really needed to fill out um, and broaden Understanding um, and an interest in this area, and so we, you know, have continued to learn, um, probably unlearn some stuff, and feel like this is an area that um, just brings me oh, just great joy working in and, and working with clients who have really struggled with lots of these pieces, but sometimes putting them together, helping them move forward um, is just so real for me. I mean, very broadly, that, that term they used, um, we have a relationship, we have relationships obviously with with people, we're in relationships. We also also have relationship with things, don't we? We, we relate to money. We, and you said we have a relationship with food. Food is part of life. It's a wonderful thing. We enjoy it. We We love breaking bread and relationships with people happens often around food and celebrations and it's so central and pivotal to our life and we can have relationships with food that go from very healthy uh healthy food healthy relationships to unhealthy and use the term disordered uh and and perhaps confused and and there's a lot of stuff out there these days on food and what you should and shouldn't or have and it's a minefield so on a relationships with food could you just speak into that Well, I think, you know, from when we were born, um, you know, we're introduced to food for nourishment um, through breast milk or formula milk. We're introduced to connection that comes when we're being provided with food. So, you know, from from our first breath, we are seeing that food is central to... um, nourishment as well as connection and you know as as we grow we begin to get more and more messages um about what does food mean to us um yes it might be enough nourishment it might be that it's a tool of reward um you know for some children it's a reward reward or punishment you know we don't get certain food and then we you know have this um i guess growing complexity of what is seen as uh nourishing or what is seen as not nourishing, what is seen as healthy or unhealthy. Um, And so the complexity starts to build um, and we live in a culture that, you know, more and more describing um, what is okay and not okay. And so this relationship with food um, really continues to uh, develop complexity as we go on and, you know, for people where food might be insecure, we see relationships um, develop there of, you know, not having enough and scarcity. Then we might move into schools and, you know, I'm noticing in 
more and more schools um, and education that, you know, this labelling of good and bad food, which the food is morally neutral. It's not good or bad. And yet some of those messages that we incur, some of the messages in the media, that the complexity of dieting messages, um, our, our relationship with food continues to develop those different tangents. And then, you know, as we, we grow and we look at maybe um, the, the messages that, that our young people are getting um, about bodies and about how food can change bodies or that bodies need to be changed and because we eat food, it's about the food that we need to then change. So, you know, we need to start restricting to change our bodies. So we're just seeing so many factors going into that relationship with food. Um, And then, you know, an an area that I work with of um, foods that may exacerbate symptoms in some people, you know, food, someone with celiac disease, you know, their, their medicine is having a gluten-free diet and other people might need to, um, you know, minimise different things because so someone with lactose intolerance needs to, you know, monitor their food. So we can see that just food has so many levels of um, the impact that it can have when we relate to it. Uh, so it is well and truly complex um, and and it's getting more and more complex too, sadly. <laughs> I was also thinking of what you said before, if you had that many people or sources, um, different um, people and sources speaking into a relationship as we do our relationship with food, there's a, there's a, so many voices, isn't there? You wouldn't you wouldn't want that many voices speaking into a, a relationship you were having with another person, and yet we seem to have hundreds of avenues of information coming at us about food. It's almost an there's there's too much information about food that you can't process it. Absolutely, and you know I think where it's interesting um, thinking about. You know when when we might personally be feeling more anxious about food and what what our brain does to help us protect it. it you know it will go down into that more black and white thinking of you know this food is safe or unsafe or right. you know we create those rules to promote that and that that in itself can then create more complexity rather than freedom. Let's let's talk about just on on that around. Um, we we want this discussion to uh, to inform and help people, and also give some practical um, some practical ways of doing that. So we want to have a a robust and positive discussion about food and and being a food lover, um, as most people are in some way. Uh, this is an exciting topic, and as you just said, it's also really complex. So a couple of things I wanted to ask you around it, which. I really only know enough to be dangerous about, so I'll be honest here, is um, the gut-brain axis. Can you – actually, let me take a step back. Can we just clarify the gut? So when I was growing up, it was like he's got a beer gut, but I don't think it means that, does it? (laughs) No, no. Um, So the gut could – be referring to any any part of the digestive system which starts at our mouth and ends at the penis um, and – 
pathway. You know, we have um, our mouth, our stomach, small yeah. intestine, intestine, um, and our food passes through there. Our body is quite incredible in its capacity to withdraw um, the nutrients that are found in our food and yeah ultimately send those foods that have not been digested down to the large colon after all the good stuff's been taken out. Um, And it is in the colon that um, we are more and more understanding there is a a whole other world in in the colon. and that is what we're calling uh, what's what's known as the microbiota, which are, you know, the trillions of bacteria that are living there um, that more and more blow my mind every day that I learn more information about it. But um, in, in a sense, the microbiota with those trillions of bacteria are influencing our health in so much. So when we talk about the digestive system, that's part of us, but we're realising we have this complex um, group of organisms that are really sort of separate to us and yet incredibly important to us. Wow. Okay. Um, So thank you for just defining the gut. So top to bottom and everything in between, and within that, you mentioned the colon. Is that where the the triangle of the brain gut microbiome is that in relation to that in that that complex ecosystem that's we just seem to be just learning more and more about all the time? Yeah, so I guess if we if we zoom out, um, and I, I should have clarified where I said um, the microbes are in the colon. There's microbes throughout our whole gastrointestinal. They're predominantly found in the colon, um, but within that. Uh, picture, we also have where we might describe, like you asked before, that gut-brain axis. We Mm. know that there are nerve endings running through um, our body, the largest nerve being the vagus nerve, um, and it's vagus nerve because in Latin, vagus means wanderer. So it's this nerve, this very thick nerve um, running through from our brain um, and we've got the spinal cord at the back, but then we've got the vagus nerve that um, really 90% of those nerve endings run from the body up to the brain and a lot of those run through the gut. So we're seeing these nerves um, through our gastrointestinal symptom, also through the diaphragm and the heart, uh, but they those nerves and nerve endings are receiving messages from the, those microbes um, and the brain so receiving those through this bi-directional pathway of the gut and the brain. Wow. So I, I think how, how recent is some of this this knowledge that, that you're touching on now? Because there's some big aha moments here in this whole world, aren't there? That, yeah, there really are. There really on. are. So um, I guess, you know, the vagus nerve has been known for quite a while, uh, but the the connection between the gut and the brain and the microbiota, yeah. that is what is these connections being made are, you know, more and more research unfolding. 
um, at a phenomenal rate, really. So if we think about, you know, the vagus nerve being those neural pathways and what is through from the body up to the brain, um, we also know that hormones are running through those system we've got the immune system being a part of that and feeding into that and then we look at some of the metabolites that might be made from those mice breaking down yeah. fiber and producing short chain fatty acids that then speak up to you know it, it is you're right it's so complex um and yet the the understanding that it's bringing and the, I guess, the areas of science it's bringing together. Uh, and that, that feels like privilege. So when, you know, when I talk to someone about increasing fibre in their diet, more and more understanding that, well, that is really going to promote health for the microbes because that means we're giving them more food but then to understand that by the production of or the byproduct of that digestion means there's short-chain fatty acids and that is then going to help um, decrease inflammation in the body. It's going to help um, produce, you know, uh, tryptophan in the body. Like these connections coming together between psychology and dietetics and, you know, um, physiology it really is incredible. And, and neuroscience, really, isn't it, as well? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, the, one of the areas that um, I, I personally is a, a really new area of science is nutritional psychiatry, that we, we see this connection, um, you know, happening. And it is because of the research that's unfolding and, and yeah, these connections that are being made. Wow. Okay, let's keep going with this. I'm thinking around the gut, food, and mental and emotional health. That's the. That's the. It seems an obvious next sort of big topic, a huge one, but just want to touch on that. In, I mean, the implications of what you're saying, the research that's going on, um, and, and within that, can we talk talk about a t- term that sounds pretty? I'm not sure if I'm excited by this term or it's scary. It's a, a psychobiotic. Tell us more about that. So if I just maybe loop back a little bit to that first part, yeah. seeing um, the connection between safety and mood, um, yep. and maybe if I can give give an example, you know, of someone who I might see who describes um, eating a food and noticing that they – they will get um, they experience bloating or they experience diarrhea when they eat a particular food and what they have associated with and you know to, that often get blamed might be say dairy or gluten yep. and I'll spend the rest of the time trying to explore with that person yeah. what part might be and maybe it's nothing to do with that but hypothetically these these foods the brains made the association that when I have this I feel bloated I feel or yeah. I need to run to the toilet um, so the brain is trying to find the answer because it's received messages through that gut brain axis that there is extra gas being produced or 
that that need to urgency to go to the bathroom, you know, is happening. Um, so what we see is this pathway, and if it's happened over and over again, the brain is receiving multiple messages through those afferent pathways from through the vagus nerve. And the brain starts to try and find an answer and to support us and help us feel safe. So that might be, you know, well, first off, we cut those out. Um, or alternatively, it might be, you know, I need to go to the doctor and get some testing because this seems to be happening. Um, but what we notice is, you know, for someone that I might work with, they start to notice these symptoms, even when they've cut that out, they keep happening. And so the brain's trying to find that answer of all the why. And so it's making associations that every time I eat or I go out for breakfast, I'm needing to go to the toilet more quickly. Right. And so we begin to see that the associations the brain is trying to make with helping us feel safe and not have those symptoms. And so that's where we start to feel maybe a bit more anxious. You know, oh, last time I went out, I ended up with diarrhea. And you can see how the brain starts building that, thinking, well, what if, happens, what if it happens again? And that's where we start to see this relationship where we might feel more anxious about eating out. And what I find fascinating is knowing, you know, when, I've, when there is adrenaline or cortisol in the system, the impact that that actually has on the digestive tract. So for someone who's looking at um, the food that they're eating and they're assuming that that's the cause of the symptoms, but then to understand, well, when adrenaline is in the system and a person is in that fight or flight or freeze response, that actually that's impacting that digestive tract. And so we see that um, when there is more adrenaline, that the pathway in that autonomic nervous system of which is what we call the enteric nervous system pathway, um, the rest and digest can't occur. And so digestion slows down. So food might sit in the tummy for longer, which then means you're going to maybe feel bloated because digestion has just slowed down. But we can also see then, um, you know, I would have lots of clients that would describe the, the a nervous poo before an exam where they might go to the toilet five or six times. And once again, adrenaline's in their body and the brain is trying to protect them ready for to run for their life yeah. or fight for. And so getting rid of those waste products is almost the way the body tries to protect them. Yeah. As you said, it's part of that fight-flight response. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for sharing that because I, I think you touched on something that I I would like to explore a bit further is the, the causative nature. So these types of food or my gut have this uh, condition or it might be celiac or gluten intolerance or I eat this and I feel that. Um, and it's causative from the gut or the food. And then there's the symptomatic side of that where the person may have, if I take an example, they might have heightened anxiety or a general anxiety disorder from the last two or three years. 
and then their relationship and the effect of food changes because of the anxiety that they're carrying, not necessarily being caused by food, but could be caused by external factors, e.g. the world around us. Absolutely, absolutely. And, you know, in the beginning of COVID, um, running a private practice, I was a little bit concerned that, um, you know, what I mean for my business and I should have known and thought forward, a pandemic is going to increase stress levels and sure enough, um, the, the rise of gastrointestinal issues um, has been significant during COVID because for that exact reason, anxiety, you know, presents itself through the gut. And and I think, you know, from a, um, I guess, a, a counselling role, just even exploring that with some clients yes. of yeah. what, 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 what happens when you go out for a meal? Like what happens in your gut? And someone might describe, oh, well, I don't eat out much anymore because I can't, you know, food always seems to be reactive. That that for me is often, yes, there absolutely could be some relationship with food, some of those triggers. Yes. And yet the brain has over time just moved into what I sometimes call the overactive parent. It's trying to make associations without necessarily acknowledging that it's got a role to play in yeah. this picture. Thank you, because that's a, that's a big one, isn't it? If there's, um, and we know that we know uh, in our observations, in our lives, in our families, in our circles of influence and relationships, in the data, take anxiety for example. It's markedly increased in the last couple of years from various factors, and we know some of those obvious ones. People are carrying that, and you do hear that that language. I, you know, anxiety manifests, and we feel it in our body. And people often say, like, in my gut, you know, and, and the gut is that sort of, you know, central um, part of our body where we feel things and there's, you know, strong feelings. I've just got this feeling in my gut that, you know, it's almost like a place of discernment in our lives, isn't it? And, and a place where we therefore feel jubilations and joys and the opposite of that, the anxieties and, and travails of life that we carry there. So it's no wonder, in a sense, in an obvious way, but maybe we're just coming to this, as I said earlier, an aha moment around this whole area. Mm, absolutely, and you know, I think of, I think of, say, two groups of clients that I might work with, or the overlap even between them. But you know, for some people, where they have noticed that food seems to trigger negative symptoms within them or symptoms that they, you know, don't want to be living with, um, where a level of food anxiety starts to develop or symptom anxiety starts to develop. But to uh, walk with them and help them see that no, you know, and I have had lots of clients where they've been told it's all in your head. You know, essentially, it's all in your head. And I I, I try really hard to um, help them see that, yes, the brain is involved in this gut-brain axis, but it's not to dismiss their symptoms, but it's also to help enlarge their understanding that there are two pieces in this pathway that we can support. And, you know, as I would frame it, we can put tools in the toolkit 
because if the brain is going into overdrive, then tools that can lower that those that anxiety can be really helpful. Uh, coming back to the triangle, I just like to touch on a couple of things that you could be you think would be very helpful for listeners here of perhaps some practical things they could do, but maybe even the that the revelation, if you like, that the relationship we have with food can be about the food and there's this about our minds and under, and how we think about it and, as you said, about the microbiome. I think that triangle, if you like, relationship is quite helpful because it's not putting all your chips, um, all your eggs in one basket, if you like, and, it, gee, if I don't get this right, I'm in, I'm in real trouble. I think it takes the pressure off hearing you say that. So what are some things that people can do? Definitely. Well, I, you know, I think one of the like the emerging ants that is certainly available is where we have um, a diet that is full of colourful plant-based foods, meaning that they've got lots of fibre in them. Right. Um, our the microbes in our gut love fibre. They just love it. And and part of what we're realising is or we're seeing the association between diets uh, or dietary intakes that generally are low in fibre and more highly processed um, and maybe have a lot more sort of additives. So maybe what we might say, you know, a westernised diet, yeah. we're actually seeing the impact on the microbiota, meaning that we're seeing less diversity in within the types of microbes that are in particularly that colon. Um, and you see diets and dietary intakes that have, you know, a wide range of foods that are rich in fibre, we actually see more diversity. And the, the research that is unfolding would suggest that where we've got greater diversity in the microbiota, um, which might be an example um, or an allegory that might be thought of is a rainforest. So thinking about a really flourishing rainforest has lots of different species and lots of those species within that rainforest. So where we have really large diversity, we're seeing the health and and I guess this is where where it's interesting where we think about okay well from from our intake how can we support ourselves well that might simply be that we could um, you know try and eat a rainbow across our week mm. look at the colours of um, plants be it a range of fruits and vegetables and by just eating maybe a couple of different ones each week, we're actually supporting the types of different fibres. You know, um, there there was uh, a really interesting and, and quite um, wonderful study done um, called, it's called the SMILES trial by um, Deakin University down here in Melbourne. They are now running the Food and Mood Centre. Yeah, but what yeah. they were looking at was if they... Um, they had two groups where assisting people, um, so dietary advice on maybe eating an eating pattern that was more like the Mediterranean diet, which is right. based um, sort of component, but also with lean meat, 
fish, um, some small amount of red wine or wine, um, you know, some eggs and but it was really this diverse diet. Yes. And then had um, a, a group that was more conversational support group in that. And they were looking at the rates of depression at the end of this study. And actually what they found was um, on this Modimed um, dietary eating pattern, it saw greater rates of improvement in depression than the talking um, arm. And you know what that, what that says to me is so someone where they might find that they're feeling overwhelmed, then just making these little changes of not it doesn't have to be overwhelming, but I think I think it's twofold. Number one, it is providing um, you know, that difference of foods yeah. in their intake. But we can't deny that one of the great benefits of the Mediterranean diet is connection and is eating together and producing food with love and and sharing. And I think, you know, part of that is, um, you know, even if it's eating a meal or someone else that you find that connection with, um, you know, making, making a meal and sharing it with someone where you say, well, I'm living on my own and it's not worth buying all of Well, it might be that, you know, actually I could double up this so that makes my job easier for another couple of meals or I could invite a neighbour and just share a meal. So looking at that connection and then seeing, well, yeah, we're supporting our gut with some of these different foods, but we're also supporting our brain through that connection. Yeah, I think that's 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 really important, isn't it? I love the sound of it. Back to that triangle is um, it's an integrated model, it's an integrated approach, isn't it, of of relationships, of sharing um, our lives and making healthy changes and then the combination of them together, which where we do life in and food is a central part of that, is not just the talking therapies by themselves and not just food on its own or on our own. Yeah, totally. And, you know, to, uh, I guess a cu- another couple that um, I absolutely remiss not to touch on in that triangle is looking at the role of stress, you know, and once again, knowing that w- we are certainly seeing evidence that stress affects the microbiota, you know, it, it, it ongoing stress oh. will impact. It has to, the- it? You can feel it yourself, it- you know it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So, where we look at stress management tools, um, well, you know that that might be, um, and and I make well, not make my no apologies, but I need to be upfront. I find being in the kitchen absolutely therapeutic. I love it, <laughs> and that's my creativity outlet. And I know that that is not everyone's experience. <laughs> We're all so, different. <laughs> That might not be your goal, but, you know, I, I I do find it really therapeutic to be in there and um, to, you know, make a meal for someone that I might share as a, as a tool to wind down my yes. 
might go, you know what, movement does that for me or singing does that for me. But where we can also acknowledge that when we're looking at these stress relievers, we're actually supporting, yes, our mood and yes, our gut and yes, our <laughs> microbiota. The same for sleep and the same for mood too. You know, where the, the evidence that is unfolding is where we engage in and and I in, more in in movement and 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 in relation to our food and our the moving of our bodies. Absolutely, you know, our bodies were meant were, were designed to move, yeah. and and I I'm more and more move move away from the term exercise because for lots of clients that I work with, exercise has a really negative connotation. Can, can I just touch on that right now? I think that's really important. You're hitting on that because. You think about food, there's a term that's often used with it. It's called dieting. And you think about what you just said about movement, and it's often called exercising. And and I think those diet and exercise are bad, not bad, perhaps not the best connotations or wordings of what sits behind that is the healthy relationship and integration between food and movement and mood and and life. And so maybe we can just, you know, get rid of the words, if you like, or park them diet and exercise in terms of what they connotate and and as you said put in these other words are better perhaps choices of words that don't cause anxiety themselves <laughs> and a whole lot of for some people like with exercise yeah. a whole shame and judgment yeah. because that that's been their experience when they've joined the gym and just paid exactly. money every month and not gone because they hate it but they should be doing it, in inverted commas, um, or, you know, someone that was was told by their doctor, you have to exercise, and they go, but I, I hate that, and it fills my body with anxiety, and the thought of going and being judged in a gym or, you know, uh, at, at, at an exercise class, but if we offered that person, what makes your body sing? Yeah. Where do free and if that person gets a smile on their face and says you know when I'm dancing or mm. when I'm in the or yeah. when I'm walking with a friend yeah. then that's what we promote and normally you know that feels a whole lot more accessible yeah yeah and and as you said a little while back as something came to mind too is um, if, if you permit me to, to paraphrase what you said around, Starting small. That, I think that's an important part, isn't it, to goal attainment and repetition is start small, build. And and I guess um, if I the observations that I have made, you know, when anxiety levels are ramped up and we need to feel safer, that's when rules kind of come in because yeah. that makes us feel contained. My observation would be, that's also when that sort of black and white thinking really ramps up. And when I describe to people black and white thinking and how that might outwork in themselves, it comes down to sort of, you know, pass or fail. Win or, or, win or lose. Yeah, that's yeah, right. Yeah. There's no capacity. And I feel part of my job is just drawing people into that middle ground to say, well, you know, if, if you want to, and I, I, this is not my personal experience, but I have plenty of people who go, I love going to the gym. Yeah. God bless <laughs> them. 
But but if that was the case, then, you know, the person that says, right, I'm going five days a week, I'll be like, well, what would it look like just to go two days a week? Because what happens is when we're in that heightened state Mm. and we've got this pass or fail mentality, if I got to day three and I haven't happened to get to the gym, I've got no, I, I haven't passed, so I failed, and that feels overwhelming. Yeah. So looking at those ways, you know, um, to say for someone that's skipping breakfast, okay, what would it look like on on which day in your week seems most manageable that you could just try for having breakfast one day this week? Once, yeah, not not every day, just once. Absolutely. And and that feels a whole lot more accessible and a whole lot um, kinder and compassionate to us, which is really what I think so many of us need, our, our nervous system, a whole lot of kindness and compassion. Yeah, very well said, very well said. Kim, is there anything else you just wanted to leave with our listeners today? You've unpacked a lot of wisdom. Uh, I, I know this is going to add value to where people are at, especially in this time in the, the summer months where we are in, in Australia around and, and food and celebrations and holidays and um, oh gee, even there's going to be New Year's resolutions popping out there, so we won't we won't get into those right now. I think we've I think we've put them to death. Uh, <laughs> anything you want to leave uh, our listeners with? Um, I guess I, I guess it's interesting just to think when we are a practitioner, even listening to this, noticing: Am I bumping into anything myself? Is something that Kim has said going, oh, yeah, I noticed something in my system coming up because I would say that one of the challenges with food is we all eat it. We all have our own relationship with it. And it it seems like it's okay for us to bring that <laughs> into the therapy room, you know. Yeah. Oh, I tried this, therefore, you know, why don't you try that? Mm. Or I'm on this great diet, you know. Maybe this might work. Like we we all because we're all experts because we eat, and so I would really um, just encourage people to notice their own relationship with food and is there some things that um, maybe need exploration Um, but also how can I be gentle about with my what I take and can I just notice small changes that I could make that that might help me flourish Mm. more than did yeah yeah that's that's really good thank you and uh, and, and we can leave, uh, if it's all right with you, we can leave your details in the notes from today's show. And and I think you mentioned a couple of uh, studies or articles as well. We might throw those in because I think the if ones that are a helpful read for people where they're at as, as well in this area because it is a, it is opening up, isn't it? It's a lot of it's a growing body of knowledge. And I, and I think there is that point that uh, at the moment there is a lot a lot of research being done yes. and there's almost a lot of um, maybe noise that's coming out and I think the the takeaway message is watch this space uh, but realise that some of that noise needs to be disseminated down into this is what it really means and so, yes, keep learning, keep 
um, understanding and keep being open to being surprised by, yeah, our incredible bodies and what they do for us, but also what the microbes do for us too. And and uh, we, we, we will often say on Council Culture is life is about relationships. So uh, given we all eat food and everybody has a relationship, it's in our interest, isn't it, that our relationship with food is as at least as healthy as it can be for us. Yeah, so, yeah. and as calm and peaceful too. Yeah, yes, amen mm. to that. Well, thanks so much, Kim. Uh, it's been a pleasure having you on. As we said right at the start, there are a bunch of topics that we – uh, a bunch of rabbit holes, if you want to call them that, we could have really gone down. I think um, we might have you back on the show to explore some of those because there's some big rocks, if you like, that we didn't touch on today that I'm sure people would like to hear more of. And if you do, please let us know if the topics that Kim's touched on that you'd like us to explore further because that that's really helpful as well. So, again, thanks, Kim, for your, your time and wisdom and, and joining us today. We really appreciate it. Great, Nick. Thank you. Thanks for joining me today on Council Culture Conversations, which is brought to you by the Australian Institute of Family Counselling, AIFC. We'd be grateful if you would subscribe to the podcast, review it, and uh, do that one again. Thanks for joining me today on Council Culture Conversations, which is brought to you by the Australian Institute of Family Counselling, AIFC. Please be sure to subscribe to the podcast, review it, and we'd be so grateful if you would share it with your friends. Also, if you're someone who's interested in a career in counselling or coaching or being equipped with the foundational skills to help others, then look up AIFC and, and see what's on offer there. Thanks again, and remember, together we can impact our culture with good counsel. Bye for now.